Uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to you now, uh, just prior to the reading of your word and hearing a, a truth proclaimed, Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to clear our minds of the things of last weekend, of the week uh, before, and Lord, certainly of the things to come. And Lord, be present uh, here now, uh, attending to your word. And Lord, when uh, distracting thoughts come here and there as they are bound to, like birds flying around, Lord, I pray you'd help us to draw our attention uh, back to you. And that, Lord, you would, by your spirit, uh, stir in our hearts that which is spoken. Lord, I pray that your truth would anchor itself to our hearts and take deep root. Lord, that always, as we are attached to it, that we may drink deeply and freely as we go about. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. If you have your Bibles, I'm reading uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. I'll be reading from the, uh, the NIV, and I have to say this is the NIV Bible that was given to me when I was received as a student of Second Presbytery at the fall meeting in 2000. So for 23 years, this has been my Bible. If you don't like the translation, you may take it up with Second Presbytery uh, from 23 years ago. Uh, but I do like the ESV, but anyway, here we are. Okay, if you would please stand with me uh, to honor the reading of God's word this evening. From Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we said, and so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Amen. Please be seated. So... You need to pray for Andy whenever he is going to call me and ask me for hymns and the text I'm going to preach from. Because it's going to take a minute, and I really tried this time to be timely and to get it to him. And I'm confident that I just threw him crazy, but I, as much as I tried, I just couldn't do it. And I said, Andy, fear not. I'm going to do what I saw in my independent Baptist upbringing, which is the minister or the pastor coming to the pulpit, and they're deciding then where he will preach from. And he objected so vigorously that he sent me a meme of a cat shaking his head back and forth, <laughs> which I think in England is a threat. But, but fear not, uh, I did in fact land on a passage. So we're okay, and as, as I prayed tonight, Lord, which passage should I preach from? He said, the one you prepared. So I said, okay, I will do that. Okay, let me make an adjustment here real quick. Okay. So in truth, um, I, I was struggling um, on where to land, and it occurred to me that my, my place found itself last weekend, and it, it was not the, the onset of the, the conflict um, in Israel. And by the way, as, as it was announced, I'll be uh, deploying to the Middle East. I'm not going there. Um, it's a part of a pre, uh, 
direct admission from a while ago, and so if others have to go there, that will not be us, but yeah, we'll be uh, nearby, so uh, if, that, if that helps you at all. But I was at my 25th year college reunion at uh, Tacoa Falls College in Northeast Georgia, if any of you are, are familiar with that school, and this was the first time that I was able to uh, to attend and get down and, and see some of these folks and these friends that you know you see on Facebook and that's great, but to see them face to face is a whole other thing, especially after not seeing them for 25 years. And it was great to catch up and to hear this and that and, and all the rest, but the thing that was most satisfying, most encouraging, and most thrilling was to hear how so many of them were still happily clinging to the faith passed down to them. After these years, they're still going strong. That is not the case with everyone that I went to school with. And again, it's a small college. Um, but there are some that are now living in uh, open homosexual sin, others whose profanity rivals and exceeds that of World War II Navy standards. Um, there are several who have abandoned their spouses, others who will never leave federal prison, um, and one who had been preparing for ministry but who just recently completed their prison sentence after stealing $3.5 million. And folks, again, this is not a major university. This is a small pond. And I've just been heartbroken over the years, but then to hear new things uh, from those um, with whom this was not was what I was expecting to hear. Surprise, and we're looking through yearbooks. Hey, well, where's so-and-so? And I said, I haven't seen them on Facebook. Well, it's because in prison they're not allowed to have Facebook. They're, you know, wait, what? And you're hearing all of this for the first time? And this happened 15 years ago. And you're going, my goodness. But to hear several of them, oh, and that doesn't count the many who have suddenly gone progressive uh, Christianity, but nevertheless, to be with those who aren't even of the Reformed faith, but are standing solidly on this is the inerrant, infallible <coughs> Word of God. And they haven't wavered. And it's been such a comfort to me. And as I was just dwelling on, and by the way, if you went to Bible college in the 90s, I have not been able to get 90s Christian music out of my head. So it's all been Stephen Curtis Chapman, DC, DC Talk, uh, you name it, for a week. And I, uh, I've, I've got to put on country now. I can't handle it anymore. Um, but it has been hard, and I have been grieving throughout the week for these friends. My heart has just been, been broken, and I pray for their repentance and grieve for their marriages and um, and about half, and this is again a Bible college, about half of those got married have been divorced. And I was hoping obviously for a much better uh, turnout, but it's been hard. And, but my, my biggest grief have been those who have now gone on to, in their minds, a progressive Christianity, which I think is absolutely another gospel, which is not the gospel at all. And it's absolutely been breaking my heart because from those pulpits, truth is not coming forth. Lies and deceit, and it absolutely kills me to hear this. And I resonate with the Apostle Paul where he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And I'm sure that if I were to survey this congregation, 
all of you could probably note at least one person you know in your life who at one time was was walking with the Lord, attending church, faithful in season, out of season. If the doors are open, they're in church, but now they're not with a, a faithful congregation. Maybe they don't attend church at all. And it absolutely is devastating to the heart to see this and to happen to those whom, whom we have loved. Um, and especially uh, for those who have been called to be pastors and, and, and elders who you have given your, your heart and your soul and your care to uh, and have now either walked away from the faith or are living in some kind of lifestyle that breaks your heart. So these are the things that have been on my mind and have prompted me uh, to, to perhaps uh, begin with this passage. And of course it is possible, even though they applied, attended, and graduated from a Bible college, it is possible, it is possible that they themselves actually weren't believers. And I do have to take that into account. Um, and so that, that's a part of this. As it says in 1 John 2.19, uh, they went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us because if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them uh, belonged to us, uh, as it turned out. And by the way, I preached from that text on Easter Sunday uh, when I was pastor at New Perth ARP Church uh, in First Presbytery. As the church is filled to the brim with people that haven't touched the door since maybe Christmas, probably the previous Easter. And, um, and it was like, you know, uh, Will, you could be a little more warm. And I said, I may be, but they really need to hear this. Um, so uh, nevertheless, uh, here we go. But again, to be encouraged by those who are happily clinging uh, to the gospel. So how did some go, to, go astray? Let's come back to the scriptures, okay? So in Galatians uh, chapter 1, um, the Apostle Paul says, Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So in the early days of the Christian church, as we see it um, in uh, the scriptures, Gentile, is this on? It is. Gentile believers were being told by some Jewish believers that they needed to be circumcised and still follow the law in addition to believing in Christ in order to be saved. And they were extremely compelling and, and, and strong in their arguments um, so that it wasn't simply putting your faith in Christ and Christ crucified and resurrected. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's the gospel message. And they were saying, yes, but add this. And people can be very persuasive. And our desire and the desire of others to be accepted can be very strong. I point this out because Paul points it out. He does so in chapter 2, 11 through 13, when he says, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Can't you just hear the groaning of the Apostle Paul in this text? And please keep in mind how significant Peter is that he was beginning to be pulled into this. And we do not ascribe to Peter the place that the Roman Catholic Church does, but Peter was part of the inner circle 
When Jesus went away with the three, he was one of those three. Who was it that preached at the day of Pentecost? Peter. Peter was a, a visible, important member of the leadership, even among the apostles, a central uh, uh, place in all of the Gospels. You know, we give Peter a hard time. He's always putting his foot in his mouth, but at least he was speaking. And so for him to be drawn into that was very, very difficult. And heartbreak of heartbreaks, Barnabas. Is Barnabas close to the heart of the Apostle Paul, you think? In all likelihood, yes, of course. This is someone who had been personally such a person of influence, an advocate for the Apostle Paul. After his conversion, people were afraid of Paul, and for good, good reason. But Barnabas took him aside and, I, and, and advocated for him, encouraged for him, so that even Barnabas is pulled into this mess. See, God has given church, uh, given the church pastors, elders, and teachers to lead, guide, assist, and to help the body of believers. And when those begin to walk off the path of the gospel, it can be devastating to earnest and gentle Christians seeing those whom they've trusted to go against their own good instructions. I think it's one of the reasons we are warned in James 3.1, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because we who teach will be judged more strictly. Recognizing this truth about how influential, trusted, and esteemed leadership can be, Paul says in verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than when we preach to you, let it be eternally condemned. It is interesting um, to read a a book by a theologian, maybe early in their career or midway, and to be encouraged by it, to see how faithful it is to the word of God. And then maybe 20 years later to read another book and go, whoa, wait a minute. He went off the rails. And to see where this departs, sometimes that happens. But you, believers, be like those Berean believers who just because I'm saying it, you check the scriptures. You be true to the word of God. Paul held these uh, Galatian believers very dear to his heart. By God's providence, Paul had been preaching in this area because he had gotten sick. We don't know much about the illness. We think that maybe it had something to do once again with his eyesight. But in any event, he couldn't travel, but he could preach. And so he's preaching the gospel. He's announcing the good news. And because of that, they, these people, they come to Christ. They hear the good news of Christ crucified, and they welcome him. They don't scorn him. They don't ridicule him. Paul was not one who was a, an impressive orator. In fact, I love the one. It's, it's an Acts where he preached way past midnight. Some fella falls off the back of the second story. And what does Paul do in good form? Keeps preaching. Paul. Anyway, I'll take that up with him later, I suppose. But nevertheless, they welcome him, it says, as an angel or as if he were Jesus himself. What a welcoming, what a reception, how dear these people are to his heart. And he says to them, no matter who it is, no matter the relationship, no matter their credentials, no matter how many letters after their names, even if we apostles or an angel should announce or teach another gospel, do not listen to them, turn away from them, let them be condemned of God. Uh, I remember when I was serving as a chaplain at the USDB prison, that's the military's maximum security prison, we had an inmate who went from death sentence to condemned. And folks, that's it. 
when you're on death row under a death sentence, you can still have that reduced to life without parole. But once your appeal, your final appeal, goes to the highest desk in the land, which happens to be the President of the United States, and he does not uphold that appeal, you are then moved to the condemned list, which we, if, if nothing has changed, that is what his status shows. And friends, there is not a court on earth that can change that. Now friends, that's, a, that's just a mere court on earth. But to be condemned in the courtroom of heaven... That's a whole different matter altogether. It is one thing, it is a scary thing, but what a horrifying thing for one to be condemned by preaching another gospel. And what was motivating, um, what was the motivation of those requiring circumcision and therefore advocating a new gospel? The answer is found in the sixth chapter, verse 12. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid per being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Friends, as we say, the more things change, the more things what? Say the same. That's their motivation. They themselves don't want to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. It's no different today. Uh, the more uh, accepting and legitimizing of the LGBTQ lifestyle and choose your gender pronoun the society becomes, the more churches moved in that same direction. And we see this more and more. In the words of Paul, it has been astonishing to watch, but sadly, is it surprising? It's not surprising. Friends, the church in every age, in every age is engaged in its warfare in some degree. It never changes. The kingdom of hell is, again, is at war with the kingdom of heaven always. And the church is always in the fight until one day, oh Lord, even soon, come Lord Jesus, when we are the church at rest. But until that time, the church is always, always in conflict. But again, churches do this not because the word of God has changed, but because they want to make a good impression on the world or they, they want to avoid persecution or low numbers or dwindling money or worst of all, losing their golden stars of esteem and acceptance. But you, keep your eyes fixed on the author and finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ and the word of God, which Jesus himself prayed the Father would sanctify us through the word, no matter who it is that's preaching, you focus on the word. And now uh, it's time for a cool army story because Andy can't tell one. So here we go. <laughs> and I promise I won't always tell an army story uh, when I preach, but guaranteed when I come back in the summer to preach again, I'm going to have one or two. But here we are. And it does apply, so just bear with me. So in, uh, in deployed to Afghanistan, um, and I was in an aviation unit, which I am now also, as a matter of fact. Um, we were at uh, Kandahar, but we were up at a place called Fab Apache. And it happens to be another place where there were the, the remnants of uh, one of Alexander the Great's fortress, and you could see it there, especially from the air. Uh, but we had to go to another location uh, to pick up somebody before we headed back to Kandahar. 
And as we were flying, there was a lead helicopter in front of us, and I'm watching it, and I noticed that we're going awfully fast. By the way, have I told this story before? Oh, thank, thank the Lord. Okay. But I've got the headset on. I'm listening to the pilots and everything. And I said, hey, it seems like we're going a, a lot faster than, than we normally go. And he said, well, Chaplain, we've got a sandstorm behind us that we're trying to outrun. And I'm going, how fast does a sandstorm move that a helicopter's trying to outrun it? And, well, I found out. They move fast. And so we're sitting there, and all of a sudden the guy says, yeah, we're not going to outrun it. Uh, everyone kind of hang tight. And we're relatively close to the mountains. I can see them very, very close. And then all of a sudden, the mountains disappear, and the helicopter in front of us just vanishes. Nothing but sand and dust. You can't see out for anything. I can't see out my window. I, I, there's no visibility at all. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And then I begin to hear the other pilot say to the other pilot, no, no, don't panic. And a few other instructions, because really that's all I remember. No, no, don't panic. And shortly after that, I took the headset off and said, I, I, I don't really need to know what, what goes on after this. I, I don't want to hear it. Um, and, and if something goes, I, I, that's all I want to know is, is happening. And I really don't recall how long we were in that condition and couldn't see the helicopter in front of us. And, um, and just praying that the helicopter in front of us doesn't slow down because it'll go right into the back of it. And all kinds of things are going through my head. And then after a little bit, uh, the sandstorm, the sandstorm uh, clears. And one of my best friends, who is the, uh, the crew chief, he's, got his, he's on his gun like that. And all of a sudden, he looks over at me and goes, and I was like, <sighs> first sergeant, I could have done without that look. And this is someone with like four deployments under his belt. And I was like, if, if that had him worried, oh, my goodness. So after we land, I said, okay, what was all that about? And he said, well, all it was is the temptation is to still try to fly looking out your window. That's your temptation. And the pilot wasn't paying attention that the nose had begun to dip down. So it would, it would have taken a few minutes, but yeah, that was our, our trajectory, so he pulled the nose back up. Well, what I heard, did not hear as I pulled it, pulled it off was, fly the instruments, fly the instruments. I didn't hear that, but he told it to me later. Friends, the Word of God is our instrument by which we fly soundly. Or, to follow the, the uh, Pilgrim's Progress, to walk on the path. And what does our catechism say in question three? What is the word of God? Answer, the holy scriptures of the Old New Testament are the word of God, the only rule of faith and of obedience. And it's not true because the catechism says it, or because the confession says it, or because I say it, because the word of God says it. Folks, if the Westminster Confession is rewritten, Andy goes off the rails and I join the Navy, you focus on the Word of God. No matter what happens. The parts you like and the points you don't like. Follow the Word of God. No doubt there is difficulty in life, and I'm reminded of Pilgrim's Progress, where Christian having just encountered the cross and his terrible burden is released and he's rejoicing in his salvation, is walking with formalism and hypocrisy. And those two choose an easier path rather than going up the hill difficulty. 
But remember what Christian says as he struggles up. Regardless of how high and difficult this hill is, I am determined to walk up it because I know it leads to the way of life. I might become weak or even scared, but I will have courage and press on because it is better to be on the right path, even if it's difficult, than to go an easier way that ends in misery. In one of the discussions with a friend on the way back, I was talking to him on the phone, and we were having a, an interesting time playing catch-up, what happened to so-and-so. And, and I said, well, what happened to this guy? Because he'd been in the ministry a bit. And um, he said, yeah. Um, and this is not just him, this is a few others as well. You know, he's gone more of the, um, the progressive route of things and those things on his Facebook. And again, I, I don't know how to necessarily tie these two together, um, but in some form or fashion, it cost him his marriage as well. And all I, can't, all I keep thinking about is how having gone a different path, all of them, none of them have, have led to joy. None of them have. They have all ended in one form or fashion in misery. And I love when the Apostle Paul, I'm going to get ahead of my notes, I'm sure, when he says, above all these things, what happened to your joy? You had such joy. And you've been walking on this other path. And it's gone. For those of you familiar with, with Pilgrim's Progress, can you imagine a more sadder state than having walked away from the path and all of a sudden Christian has his burden back on? Well, that is what has happened. And even in Galatians, Paul says, don't burden yourselves again. It would have been better for those Galatian Christians, as well as Peter and Barnabas, to endure the brief difficulty of being rejected or murmured against by standing firmly on the gospel message they believed, received by the Holy Spirit, and had such joy together. But even these things are written for our instruction to serve as an instruction and witness and warning. Dearly beloved, there are many who, with wonderful sounding words and style, would lead you astray and off the path. Warn them. If they listen and repent, wonderful. If not, then carry on. And cling happily to the gospel handed to you, believed by 